Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren, where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. Hello, hello. It has been a while. Luke was just saying he was getting pumped up to chat with you all again on Fill to Flourish. It has been some time. We have been busy. Yeah. Why have we been so busy? I don't quite know. <laughs> Holidays. The holidays. That's, that's one of the reasons. Yeah. Yeah. We have two birthdays got... in January. Paul mm-hmm. was busy. We got a puppy. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't been in the office. In yeah. Long, long I've been while. on postpartum leave with the puppy. Well, also, the kids were on break, so you couldn't come to the office. Uh huh. So, yeah. It's been a while. It has been. We're, we're going to try to get back into the podcasting rhythm. We always get just encouraging feedback and enjoy the depth we can get into with episodes. Whereas like our goofy reels and our short little, you know, content on social media is just limited. So podcasting is great to get into more depth. That's right. It is. You have a beer. That's new. That's new. Yeah. It's getting cold here in Thailand. Trying to keep my face warm. (laughs) It's the lumberjack. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. We were on a walk the other night and we were talking about essentially feminism. Don't run. Don't be scared. Please don't turn us off. If that word scares you, we were just having a really good conversation about it. And we were like, we should bring this to the pod. Yeah. Yeah. So this isn't very scripted at all. We really want to flesh it out like together, but live. So yeah, no guest today, just just us. But it was a good conversation on the walk, a starting of a good conversation. But we wanted to continue. What are we talking about? Kind of the jumping point of my theory. Um, there's a lot of branches we can go off of it, but essentially I was just, I kind of went down a dark dive of documentaries. <laughs> In the past three months, I don't That's know. That's the truth. Why we haven't done podcasting is one of them. Yeah, binge watching all the documentaries. Locked yourself in a room and watching documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it sounds so pathological. Um, but for real, I have like all of them, so many, and I just I I've been like this since I was young, just like so fascinated and intrigued by human behavior and why we do what we do and that ultimately led to this field which is all about why we do what we do but something that I was noticing is this idea of how much uh, men in history have caused so much unthinkable uh, damage oppression assault harm harm in the lives of women also other men but I was just thinking specifically about two women and then I thought about kind of an opposing thought of what they're so obsessed with women okay so hear me out I'm gonna flush it out of these polar poles of like how could there be so much harm and subjugation but also if you look at like so many of the problems in the world they're also driven by this like insatiable need 
to dominate and win over women, speaking of, of heterosexual men. Um, and I just was noticing that polarization and trying to make sense of like, how could there be such seemingly like disconnected things in yeah. all history? But then it was just like, you know what? Because if you hear like the word misogyny, it's, I think it, part of the definition is like hatred, um, mm -hmm. thinking less of woman, but there's, there's a hatred to it. And I was just thinking like, I don't want to redefine misogyny because who the heck am I to do that? That's not the point. But my thought is, I almost wonder if it's not so much hatred of women, but hatred of what men need from women, the vulnerability, hatred of the vulnerability of needing woman. And this is like super deep crap here. Like we're just jumping in. But as I look at that, there is so much shame culturally for men to be vulnerable and have needs. And yet men cannot escape their need for connection to woman, whether it be platonically or romantically. And, and that need is makes them in a sense vulnerable or quote weak. And yeah. they, they've been conditioned to hate that. That's been seen as like the worst possible thing to have a weakness and a vulnerability. And so instead of hating the culture that says that, they end up projecting their hate onto the object of their desire, essentially. That's it. That's wow. That's my theory. And that's the episode. <laughs> as you were sharing about your theory and your observations, it clicked into another topic that we talked about is high control religion um, and how women are oppressed and subjugated in high control religious uh, communities. And I was thinking about the vulnerability it takes to give a bid to a woman and and when you give a bid, there's a there's opportunity to be rejected. So there's vulnerability. And but if you can create an environment where it's not only helpful, but like it's godly to be a woman that um submits who sees the man as the authority, um, who, where there's obligation sex, um, that takes off the pressure from the man to give bids. And so it ensures safety of affirmation and protects the ego. Mm -hmm. and I don't just mean the ego is like the pride, but like the the vulnerable parts of us mm -hmm. that it takes away that vulnerability and that fear aspect of free choice and vulnerability of i want to be close to you do you want to be close to me and it's like well she doesn't have a choice whether she wants to it's my right or it's a god's command mm -hmm. it keeps away the shame of rejection the, the fear of not being good enough like from ifs it protects our parts 
protects us from our exiles and it helps our parts stay safe and the, the person stay safe of the exiles of rejection, isolation, alone, whatever it is, and different stories from being exposed. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say this, this part, these parts in men who aren't able to show vulnerability are probably really, really young, like began really mm -hmm. early on where they had a need, they expressed a desire or a want or a confusion. There was vulnerability in what they expressed and they were met with, with external shame, which then, as we'll talk about in a minute, the shame cycle, that external shame internalizes and they have yeah. that strong sense of internalized shame to any sense of vulnerability. So then they get to be the age of being with woman and hello, there's all kinds of vulnerability. Yeah. Um, so the way high control religion handles that is just makes a, a hierarchy and subjugates women and elevates men. And then men never have to face their vulnerability in that type of power dynamic. Uh, like you said, they just can get their needs met and it, can be essentially forced. As you were talking, I just thought about this. I, I don't know if this relates or connects, but you said it, it's a young part. And I'm thinking, like, as we know, there's implicit memories as well as explicit memories. So, like, mm -hmm. if the mom was not able to uh attune because of dysregulation or whatever i wonder if that's another way also that a manager will play out that anger towards the the caregiver the female caregiver or the mom in a way that can get back at her um and <laughs> and get that need met and demand that need where before that you demanded a need and it you're helpless. I mean, but as an adult, there's power that they can use to get their needs met, and in mm. uh, a society that, in a culture that encourages men to use their power, yeah, um, abusively, and can be a. I wonder if it could be a way of them working out even those attachment wounds with a. Part, female partners yeah that's so um, interesting and it makes me think like they asked initially they asked vulnerably right they but asked, they weren't going to do that again right it's like oh cr the crying baby that's totally um um sorry what's the word that's totally dependent on you to meet their needs and yet you've been told oh do baby wise we're guilty of that um, do this type of cry it out method, or you're just so dysregulated you can't attune well, any of the multiple options that go into that. Um, and so then you recognize even implicitly, like Luke said, those memories that are before um, we remember them, right? It was conscious um, before there's language and conscious awareness, yeah. Right. So then you develop the understanding like you said your managers do I can't use vulnerability to get my needs met are you kidding me I'm going to use force I'm going to use manipulation I'm going to use 
um, shame and, and fear to get other people to meet my needs. And those well, are religion. burden parts. And religion is often all across the board, many, all high control religions is a great way to repackage that and make that look holy. Hmm. You were mentioning the shame cycle. Um, I think this is another important part of this conversation as we continue to learn more and more about IFS, which is just such a useful paradigm. You want to show them the book on screen if they're watching? Do you have it sure. here? I do. It's called Internal Feeling Systems Therapy for Shame and Guilt by Martha Sweezy. Um, and in there, she talks about the shame cycle. And it's it's been like really eye-opening and just like clarifying personally and professionally just the, the understanding of this pattern so basically she just she explains it in in six acts so like a play so like the first act is a child gets harmed by a, an adult or caregiver and harmed by like it a message was given to them and act two is you believed the message you owned it Mm. and so let's use the example it's like an inner critic yeah so uh yep an inner critic and then act four is a scout and this part helps you predict and force like see the future of opportunities where you're going to be seen as incompetent mm. um maybe lauren asked me to to make something fix something inner critics like you're not going to do this right and the scout's like, yeah, this is an opportunity where, like, this isn't going to work out for you. You need to, like, run. So you're kind of on guard, but maybe you do it. Fair enough. Lauren comes to me and is like, what's taking so long? Or <laughs> that's not the right place. Or I wanted you to, like, something's maybe off. And it's this. And so there's act five. The warrior comes out. The warrior wants to bring safety back to the inner system. The shamer is causing distress. The scout is is panicking and seeing all these um, threats. So the warrior comes in and is like, hey, Luke, there's a lot going on in you. This isn't your fault. Lauren is being difficult. She's being picky. She's being needy. She's being um, critical. She's being perfectionistic. And so Lauren comes and says, hey, that's not what I wanted. Of course, it's not what you wanted. It's never what you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is how you always respond. And and the purpose of that is to bring safety within. So this would be like a firefighter bring safety back into my system. So it has a she calls it a pro-social desire to bring safety or connection, but by default, the approach is antisocial. Yeah. And it is going is pushes people away. The warrior so then there, is the perfect name for it. Yeah. And then there's act six, which comes to um like the feel-good part. And this is the part that you dissociate, you isolate, binge eat, binge watch, video games, you 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 escape. 
Yeah, self-soothe in some way. Yeah. And and she talks about how usually when you come into the therapy, you're dealing with act three, the shamer. And act one and two sometimes are the last things that come up because we're not aware of them. We're not consciously, we don't know what they are. A lot of times they're exiles. But interesting how that shamer has such good intentions. So the other thing with the shamer is it wants you to get better, but sometimes it also shames the part that makes you vulnerable. So say, um, I'm not, what was the example? I'm not good enough. Yeah. And so I'm not good enough. Another side of that is a pursuit of relationships to tell me that I'm good. Mm. A desire for connection. So the shamer might keep that part that's the exile like connection is an exile because that brings vulnerability so you stay down there in the basement and this isn't good to be vulnerable this isn't good to want connection so we do that so and now let's turn over here and let's just make you better and so when we come back to the conversation we're having today like that vulnerability of asking for connection, uh, giving bids, a lot of times that shamer's already been working on that part and saying, you don't, you don't need to, um, be here. We're just going to work on being a better husband. And this is how you be a better husband. You keep your house in order. You, and the warrior comes in and well, I, it was not my fault I was looking at porn. We haven't had sex in a week and a half. Mm. Why are you looking at, why are you talking to her? Well, I mean, you've been really cold to me. That warrior's coming out because of the shame of, I want connection, but I don't know how to ask for it. Yeah. And I can blame somebody else for my actions and not have to actually fess up or accept the reality that I am making mistakes. Yeah. So the warrior throws the shame, tries to eject project. the shame out of the system and project it onto someone else or some other entity right. to get the shame out so there can be more balance inside the system. Right. So even the warrior's intention is good, even though its impact is very, very damaging. If you've been in relationship with someone who has very strong warriors, you know how painful it is to have the blame shifting, the gaslighting, manipulation come oh, from those warriors. Yeah. That's that's like Darvo, gaslighting, those are all warriors. Um, and it's really health, like that doesn't make them okay, but it is helpful to know that that's driven by shame. Um, and obviously the person has to accept that as well and work on it, but right. as a, as a, ther- as a practitioner, it's nice. It's easy. It's better to see those as shame so that we can work with them. And it's really important to differentiate, um, people that do abusive things sometimes or once in a while versus abusive people or abusers. Um, understanding the warrior that's behind them, it could be similar, but 
our response to that warrior totally differs depending on if the abuse is a pattern of abuse or if it's just while wow, this person's extremely triggered and they're really acting out of character and their warrior is out and strong and is uh, gaslighting me right now. This could be yeah. children, this could be coworkers, partners, parents, friends, but that's not the pattern of the relationship. Um, right. When it becomes a pattern, then it potentially classifies them, um, likely classifies them as an abuser. And that doesn't, that also doesn't mean that they can't seek help and can't um, deal with those warriors that cause a lot of harm, but it's more of an entrenched pattern and that's going to take a lot more work and you're going to need a lot more boundaries to be in relationship with them. So yeah. just want to throw that out. Um, yes. And also don't, people come to therapy also showing like the six, the act six of it, where mm -hmm. they're coming for this addiction or they're coming for this explosive anger or they're coming for this um, shut down and won't get a job and can't work and can't get out of bed. You know, there's this yep. very extreme behavior that they're coming mm -hmm. for. Like uh, she says, you don't get to really the real reason, which is act one and two until farther into therapy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Really quick before we wrap up, giving the quick uh, one, two, three, four, five, six again, um, yeah. not explaining it, but just giving like the names kind of. Yeah, um, it's like um, act one um, is the wound. Act two is the owning of that wound. Act three is the shamer. Act four is the scout. Act five is the warrior. And act six is the feel good. Wow, that's super powerful. So we didn't totally wrap it all in, tie it all up perfectly, but I think that the shame cycle really comes into play with the theory that we were talking about on the walk the other day about yeah. why men historically have been so subjugating and oppressing a woman. A, they could do it culturally. So we're not denying, like they have just had the privilege and the power and they've been able to do it. But just throwing this into the the historical and cultural conversation of maybe men actually hate the vulnerability within themselves and it gets projected out like the warrior does onto the object of their interest and desire and need so that they don't have to to feel um those hard feelings yep i think there's something to it. Hmm. I do. We're going to have to go deeper outside of this and really. Yeah, we'll, maybe we'll bring it back when we have continue more. to flush it out. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. All righty. Well, it's great uh, being on the podcast again today with Luke and uh, all of you listeners. We're super thankful for your support. If this resonates, if our work is enjoyable, please share it with someone else who might benefit. And we'll see you next time on the Field of Flourish podcast. Luke and I run a global trauma healing and brain retraining practice called Flourish Therapy. We work with those who are suffering from the effects of chronic stress and trauma in their bodies and minds, helping them find their way back to regulation, connection, and health. We offer individual services, couple services, as well as three-day intensives. You can check out all of our offerings and social media contacts at our site, flourishtherapy.co. 
and go ahead and download the free 16 signs and symptoms of nervous system dysregulation. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.